Aetherin Dark Saga is a dark fantasy audio drama. It contains themes of violence and is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Chapter 1, Part 9, Anvidar and Rowan When last we left Anvidar and his new companion Rowan, the two had bore witness to the horrific scene left behind by the archdemon Astaroth. With the garrison of Attilian's watch mutilated, as well as a holy relic stolen, the Icon of War then performed the ritualistic rites of his order and burned the bodies of the fallen men. After gathering Amvadar's belongings, as well as what supplies they could, the pair set out on horseback. Now, after a week of hard riding, Kalandor, the crown of the northern realms, looms in the distance. The pair will seek audience with the Grand Master of Amvadar's order and tell him of the events unfolding. Their story now continues. So that's Kalandor, eh? But Helenorin, I've seen nothing like it. You do well not to mention your heathen goddess's name here. Heathen? Hey, you watch your mouth. Every zealot, every fanatic, and all of them willing to kill in the name of Galador. And they all live here in this city. They say the god himself walks within these walls, Rowan. So yes, heathen goddess... And unless you wish to find yourself upon a stake, I suggest you keep your mouth shut. You make a good point, but I won't be renouncing the goddess any time soon. I don't care who you pray to, Rowan. Just don't announce it to anyone inside. At least not until we reach Vengard. And even then... Amvadar thought of Sigulf, the current icon of knowledge. That one made even the fanatics squirm. As they approached the city... Amvadar led the way, his grey mare between his own mount and Rowan's. Stopping upon the cobbled road, the icon of war rooted through his gambeson and bags. You looking for this? Rowan handed over the smoothed icon stone Anvadar had given him back in the cave. Surely they'd recognise you. After all, you're the icon of war and such. I've not set foot here for nearly nine years, Rowan. The palace guards were always switched around on a rotation. It's been such a long time. Many things will have changed, not just those who guard the king. A small procession made its way through the huge arcing gateway that led into the outer limits of the immense city. Tradesmen and laborers, fruit sellers and merchants, as well as clergymen and other inhabitants all passed beneath the curving white stone and dark steel portcullis. 
grim-faced guards with their chainmail hauberks hidden beneath thick blue and burgundy half tabards, all of which were embroidered with the silver heraldry of Kalandor. The two-headed hawk, its heads facing away from one another, a sword clutched in one talon, a chalice in the other. The sword and chalice was there to represent the inclusion of the Galadoran faith, and the two-headed hawk, held over from the days when Kalandor was known to the world as Dreangorn. Amvadar held up his icon stone, the runic symbol which identified him as the icon of war. Upon recognition, the guards each bowed their heads before saluting, thumping a fist into their chest twice, once for the nation and once for Galador. Lowering their halibuds, they used the weapon's staffs to herd the mass of people over to one side, clearing a path which would allow space for Anvadar and Rowan to pass through unhindered. A courteous nod from Rowan received naught but a blank look from the guard he aimed it to. Those in the crowd bowed their heads at the sight of Anvadar, some whispering blessings to Galador for his safe return. Seems like they recognise you, Anvadar. I prefer to see it, as I've earned their respect. The people here know I am not of the noble blood. Yet, I hold a position here in Kalandor. I thought you were all knights. Don't knights have to be of the blood here? We did used to be, before the Great War. But since then, any who would serve the Order can eventually achieve the rank of knight. The noble houses don't recognize the title, but they do respect our usefulness. The streets were bustling with citizens. With processions of priests draped in overlapping robes and all chanting hymns of praise to their protectorate god. Merchants hawking their wares, some from the city itself as well as an equal measure of outsiders. Shouts of ambleberries and other fruits from the Drakenweald. Arteria's finest red wines. Cages of hunting birds. Furs and seal hides from Venice lands, as well as scrolls claiming to be knowledge from the libraries of Sondara. The ringing of metal workers' hammers greeted them on entry to the next district. That, coupled with the smell of hides being tanned and coal and cork from the forges, the cobbles beneath them were dark with filthy runoff water, mixing with the soot and dirt from other tradecrafts. No matter how pretty and polished the faces, there's always a shithole somewhere. Truth be told, I'd rather be here than any of the noble districts. These are the people I fight for. They have no high walls to hide behind, no money to pay for bodyguards. They come out day after day and do their part regardless, whether they're making pots or making weapons. These are the foundations of this city, Rowan. Now you're right, Amadar. Must be the blue blood in me, eh? Believe me, Arteria has much worse places than this. Tell me then, Rowan, how does Kalandor's working quarter compare to that of Ankyrans? Believe it or not, I've never been to the capital. Spent most of my life in Gilglas. Biggest city I'd been to was Osterglas, and that's just really a big town. But that is the shithole I'm talking about. Animal and human filth instead of cobbles. Blood and shit for miles. You know, I've seen more of Ballora than I have of my own homeland. That's sad, really. They call this age the time of peace. 
Yet we've never really stopped fighting each other, have we? Age of Peace? That's a new one to me. Arteria's never declared peace with those bastards beyond the teeth. <laughs> I hold little love for the lords of the Drakenweald as well, Rowan. But in the Order, all are welcome. You should know that the icon of magic, Kriya, is Baloran, and she is not a woman to cross. Taking the quickest route for the city, the pair passed by noble houses, city watch outposts, more marketplaces, taverns and alehouses, curio shops and booksellers. Then finally, the road came to an end at a heavily fortified portcullis which separated the city from the palace grounds. By the goddess, is that welfare steel? You can make a thousand blades from those gates. What a waste. Luckily, we won't have to break them down. A well-built guard marched forth at their approach, his hand resting upon his sword belt, the weapon marking him as a man of rank amongst the others there present. He held up a gauntlet-encased hand as a sign for the pair to halt, his eyes instantly locking with Anvadar's as he recognised his garb, as well as the threat a man his size posed. Hail to you. State your names and business. Anvadar quickly flashed up his icon stone, causing the guard to stiffen instantly. I am Anvadar, icon of war and knight of the Argent Order, and this is Rowan, my squire. We require... Forgive me, my lord. We had not expected someone of your esteem to come this way. Again, forgive my prying, my lord, but you must have been out of the city for some time now. And what makes you say that? Well, my lord, the tunnels beneath the palace, leading you to Vengard, they've been open for some time now, and... I see much has changed in the time I've been away. Very well, then. Lead the way, guardsman, if you would. Amvadar was shocked. None but the Order, the King and his closest advisers, knew of Vengard's location. And now, a city watchman was telling him, the Icon of War, away into the temple fortress. Evale, come here. I want you to show the Icon of War to the tunnels and make your way back at once. If you see Huel on your way, I want you to arrest that little bastard. Is that understood? With a nod, the guard Evale peeled away from this section of the gates, making way towards Anvadar and Rowan. The guard's demeanour clear to see as he passed them, waving his arm in a half-hearted direction to follow. He was not amused at the task he'd been assigned, but he would carry it out nonetheless. The guard, who walked in silence, never so much as raised his head. Instead, he continued on in his moody stride until finally stopping before another gated archway. Only this time, it clearly sloped downwards beyond its lattice steelwork. Dismounting and thanking the guardsmen as they passed, who merely nodded in reply as he turned the crank and chain, which now opened the gateway into the tunnels below. They guided their horses down the slope, which went on much further than first appeared. Wall-mounted lanterns, not much unlike Anvadar's own, which now lay lost somewhere in the Black Fells, lit the way ahead. Unknown to the pair, 
These tunnels were as old as Vanguard itself. In fact, they had been the original and only entryway before the ground workers had broken through into the cavern when digging the foundations for the royal palace. The breathing noises made by a horse echoed towards them. Ahead, the tunnel opened up into a square room. Hitching posts as well as water troughs and feed was present everywhere. Hay strewn across the floor made for an unkempt bedding. A spotted gelding stood calmly, its muzzle engulfed by the feed bag it happily wore. A large brown eye reflecting the flames as it cuffed the ground as if greeting the other horses. It seems we must go on foot from here, Rowan. What about your armour? Leave it here. No, no. I'd best put it on. Will you help me? Yeah, I'll do my best. But this doesn't make me your fucking squire, alright? You've got a long way to go before that sort of honour would be given to you. Ah, you need to undo the strappings first. By the god, I mean... What did your last slave die of? <laughs> Actually, he was killed by Astaroth. Oh, Anvid, I, I didn't mean to... No, of course not, Rowan. I was just... He wasn't my slave. Elias wasn't even my squire, really. He was my friend, as well as a brother of the Order. Look, I know how it feels. With old wind and semen. With any luck, we'll have chance to avenge them. Soon enough. With the last of the leather straps tightened, Amvadar shrugged and stretched inside his breastplate and pauldrons. The ornate armour was gilded and inscribed with verses from the Galadoran Bible. Psalms that spoke of protection and duty of guardianship were scrawled across the cuirass. The pauldrons were trimmed with gold, and black leather tassels hung with small golden chalices as studwork. The gauntlets, vambrace and greaves, all matching in the inscription and gold leaf work. The steel itself had not been polished to a mirror sheen as it would give the armour a gaudy look, and although it was ceremonial in nature, it would be more than suitable for combat, though the encumbrance would not suit Amvadar's fighting style at all. Stepping out from the lantern-lit tunnels, Rowan was wide-eyed and almost open-mouthed in awe. The cavern before him was immense. Stalactites hung long and thick from above, their blue and orange pearlescent-like sheen visible in the glow emanating from above them. Looking up was like looking at the night sky from some alien world. Orange and green lichens glowed with bioluminescence as they clung to the rock face. Shards of natural forming crystal hung from above, their multifaceted beauty scattering the light around them like a heavenly chandelier. A bridge of wood, steel and stone arched its way across a chasm which split the underground cavern in half. As they set foot upon the bridge, the sound of fast-flowing water boomed out in a continuous roar from below them, and though he could not see it, Rowan could only imagine the ferocity of the river beneath him. Looking through the spaces and the twisted steel spindles that made up the bones of this bridge, the man of Gilglaz could finally see the walls of Vengard. 
more temple than fortress, the bastion of the order looked aglow in the light as it shone from above in the golden-coloured brickwork. A high, gothic archway which housed a tall and incredibly solid-looking door made for its entrance. The black wood pierced with golden-pointed studwork. Tall, slender windows filled with glass the colour of red wine dominated the upper level. A banner hung from each of the openings, with the blood-red sigil and golden chalice of the order stitched with precision, clear and bold amongst the white field. Blocking entry to the door, two guards stood in a relaxed pause. The pair straightened instantly as another approached. This man was short in stature, his dark hair held back in a ponytail and an unkempt beard grew in patches on his middle-aged face. He exchanged his pleasantries with the two guards and then, upon passing, spotted Amvadar and Rowan crossing the bridge. Amvadar, is that you? Welcome home, brother! Melanus, it's good to see you again, my friend. It feels like an eternity. You're looking well. I wish I could say the same for you. <laughs> You've picked up a few more scars since we last met. Who's this you got here? Where's Elias? You still in the city? Amvadar winced at the mention of his fallen squire. I wish that was so, Melanus. Oh, I am sorry, brother. Galador rest his son. This is Rowan from Gilglass. Oh, a fellow Arterian, eh? Live in peace, kinsman. Live in peace. Gilglass, eh? Never been. I'm originally from Umkairin. Nice to see someone else from over the border coming into the light of Galador. Praise him, praise him. I didn't expect to see anyone from the Motherlands here. You must excuse us, Melanus. We have to see the Grand Master. Of course. We'll speak later, my friend. Go well, Rowan. Aye, go well, kinsman. As they left Melanus to whatever duty he'd been charged with, Amvadar, with Rowan in tow, strode forth towards the heavy doors that led on into Vengard. The guards both saluted Amvadar and then turned in unison. They banged their fists upon the door three times before stepping aside. Amvadar returned their salute and Rowan did his best to mimic the action though the guard's eyes were not upon him. A loud metallic clunk and the sound of chains moving signalled the door was opening. Amvadar paused for a moment. Then, taking in a deep breath, he looked over his shoulder back at Rowan. Welcome to my home, Rowan. Welcome to Vedgard. Lephias After leaving behind Ebenstone, Lephias began his journey to the labyrinth of Molgreth, Tasked with retrieving the heart of an ancient one for the archdemon Valmaris, he must first cross the bridge of Nelm, and from there, head into the labyrinth. When we last left the Asarian, he had laid waste to a small gathering of skinless fiends. Leaving behind that chamber, he made his way down the tunnel we now find him in. He strode forth through the tunnel, never letting his guards slip for a moment. The walls around him were rippled and slick, giving it the appearance of some gigantic intestinal tract. Yelkalashan was gripped in both hands. The Falchion had seen much use down here, after yet another score of fleshless horrors 
tried and failed to lay the Asarian law. They, like the rest, had been dispatched with ease. His polished helm hung at his waist, the crimson ponytail wrapped and tied off to his sword belt. This was unusual for him to remove his armour, but the red decoration was scraping on the ceiling and made his movements awkward. Not only would this noise announce his coming, but the freedom of movement trumped his need for its protection. His white eyes drank in the darkness, his surroundings as clear to him as if it were midday. All the while his mind refused to let him concentrate, his thoughts returning back to his past. Echoes of his homeworld Asarian, the beautiful throne room, and the events that transpired therein. What's going on here, Odalin? Are you responsible for Salenia? Seize him! Cut him down! I will see you dead for this. I can give you the vengeance you seek. He has slain your family and must pay for that. I can help. You'd only say the word. Lephias tried to block out the voice in his head. That damn creature, incessant in its calling to him. Even now, at a moment like this, it tried to persuade him. He'd ignored it for months, and still it whispered its promises. Behind, from the doorway, yet more guards appeared. Spears and sword in hand, they encircled Lephias, but like a cornered wolf, he would fight until the last. Put up your arms, cousin, and you will be spared. Where are my daughters, Odalin? They are safe in my custody, and if you wish them to remain so, you will give me your weapons. As the guards behind readied their weapons, Lephias suddenly stopped. This was naught but suicide. To continue this course of action would leave his children without a father as well as without a mother. Who slew my wife? I demand you tell me now. With a heavy sigh, Odalin nodded, and within a split second, Lephias was on his knees. Racked by immense agony in his back, he collapsed forward, his weapons clattering to the ground in front of him. The poison had worked its way through him instantly. The Asarian prince shook violently on the floor, racked by pain, foaming at his mouth. He felt every second of the burning sensation in his lungs as his breathing became laboured. Well done, Captain. The Triarch will see you fully rewarded for your bravery. A tall Asarian warrior, dressed in a more ornate armour than the rest of the guards wore, recoiled his lash wrapping its poisoned whip around his steel-encased hand. You know well the effects of these toxins that now course through your veins. Odalene kicked the downed Lephias squarely in the ribs, stamping on his back 
and holding his foot there for good measure. Your daughters will share the fate of your little Salania. But you won't have time to miss them, my prince. You will be joining them very soon. I can stop this, Lephias. Just say the word. Think of your children. Lephias knew what saying yes would mean. Yet, he was as good as dead now regardless. What did he have left to lose? In his heart, he had no doubt this Valmaris creature was a denizen of Baalgaroth, a world the Ortalin Conclave spoke of. Yet now, in his moment of desperation, this beast, this entity, this demon, was his salvation. Say it, my prince. Allow me to save you. Yesha and Tolia. Yes. For a moment, the room fell silent. All who were present felt it. A powerful shockwave of energy tore through the throne room. The intricate glass windows, as well as drinking vessels and statues, shattered. Exploding in a torrent of shards that cut and grazed any unarmoured skin. The ground cracked and smoke poured up through the openings. The guards and Ordeline all knocked to the ground by the momentum. An impossibly high-pitched screech pierced the air. Followed by the howls of agony as steel armour and weapons alike melted like ice in the desert, scalding the bearer's flesh in the process. Lephias, no longer in pain, no longer writhing, floated upwards from the shattered marble floor. His face, frozen in the expression worn only by those who had embraced the serenity of death. His lifeless corpse rose up and up, reaching the limits of the high ceiling. His body bobbed and shook as if trying to break through the impossibly detailed murals that were painted above him. Yet below, a void tore through reality. The canvas of this world ripped apart by unseen hands. Yellow eyes glared from within for the briefest of moments. And then... Holding back the memory, as well as the warm tears that began to well up at the edges of his cold eyes, Lephias focused upon the glimmer of light ahead of him. A pulsing red glow outlined a doorway he had finally reached the end of this blasted tunnel. Upon entering the room, the origin of the light was plain to see. An octagonal dais rose up from the misted ground. The platform, a mix of obsidian and amethyst, acted as the foundations for eight archways, each different in shape from the last, 
yet all constructed from the black steel so prevalent throughout Belgorov. Within the arches, a veil of blood rippled like a liquid curtain, as if an unending amount of pebbles were being dropped into these ruby pools. This was his goal. He had reached the malefic roads as they were known. These archways were portals. Doorways which allowed any who would pass through access to the far corners of Belgorov. The razor-sharp peaks of the Heta, the frozen white sea of Ulugurf, as well as places still unknown to Lephias. Yet, he was only concerned with the one which now stood before him, the gateway leading to the labyrinth of Molgraf. That was chapter one, part nine. I want to say firstly, there's another three episodes remaining left in this chapter slash season before I'll be taking a much needed break. Depending on demand, I might start writing the second season early, but we'll just see how things go. Last week, and also the week before that, I started listening to two new shows. One is an audio drama called The Archivist, and it's not your usual post-apocalyptic storyline. The acting, as well as the general story, is really, really good. I enjoyed every episode, and figuring out just what the hell was going on was part of the fun. Make sure to check it out. Next up, Twisted Britain. True crime with a twist, and in this case, it could be a twist of lime, because this podcast takes place in a pub. Robert and Nadine take turns in telling one short and one long story per episode, and it's all decided who goes first on the flip of a coin. As the title of the show states, it's all based around weird and unusual true crime in Britain. Please check this podcast out, it's great. Both shows will have a link in the show notes. I'd also really appreciate it if everyone could give me iTunes, Stitcher and Podchaser reviews. I mean, I know it can take a whole 60 seconds of your life, but it can really make a difference to this podcast. And if you can do that, well, you could probably tell your friends about it as well. Or give me a shout out on social media. I do have an Instagram, but it's pretty much dead. Same thing with Facebook. So instead, join me on Twitter for all the latest updates and news at Aferin Podcast, all one word. All music used in this episode was by the talented Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Kevin has a Patreon, and you can find a link in the show notes to donate to this awesome compilation of work. All music is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 3.0. Some sounds were taken from freesound.org, another great library of Foley and sound effects. Thanks for listening. <laughs>